unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. And before we even jump into the show, I'm just going to have to say the last like four episodes, you've just knocked it out of the park every single episode. And then you sent me the show notes for today and uh, my jaw hit the floor. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Well, let me see if I can keep it there. Uh, no, I'm, I want to talk to you, but uh, anyway, all right, let's just jump into this. We got a lot to cover. It's all good stuff. When I first started learning how to write copy, everybody told me, read scientific advertising. It's a book written at the beginning of the 20th century. It's over 100 years ago by Claude Hopkins, scientific advertising. And so I did read it. I read it again. In fact, I read it 15 times. And for today's show, I reviewed it. This is part of our Old Masters series. What I did is I pulled out five powerful takeaways that we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about them and how they apply to copywriting today, not at the beginning of the 20th century, but here as we're in our third decade of the 21st century. And in the show notes on copywriterspodcast.com, you'll find a link on how to get the book on Amazon. It's like 12 or 15 bucks, not, not expensive for the value you get. All I can say is it's well worth it. One of the most valuable books I've ever read. And now one of the most valuable things I can tell you, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy in highly regulated industries like health and finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Claude Hopkins was, some people would say, one of the founding fathers or the grandfather or the founder of of copywriting as we know it. Um, Even though a lot of the copy that he wrote was for uh, image ads or for branding ads or, you know, uh, not direct response, not with coupons, not uh, selling directly to consumer. He established and then used direct marketing principles in his copy. And there are legends about how he, you know, brought companies to the top of their niche. So, Let's talk about five takeaways. The first one is, this is what he says, the only purpose of advertising is to make sales. That's it. Don't think of it any other way. That's what he says. Advertising is multiplied salesmanship. Ask yourself this question about sales copy. If I had this copy, if I had this ad, and I was face-to-face in front of the prospect, would this help me sell? 
if I met them in person. So let's, and again, this, I I happen to agree with most of this, but I'm not going to get into a discussion about that. I just want to, you know, give you your first abridged reading of the book so that you can go out and get it, or if you've read it, so you can review it and to maybe inspire you to pick it up and read it again. What's advertising not? It's not to create general effect. In other words, it's not to keep your name before the people. It's not primarily as a sales aid. It's not collateral material. It's something not something a salesperson can take with them to help them. It's supposed to be like a salesperson itself. And how do you write this kind of copy that actually sells? So here's a real important point he made. He said, in writing copy, he said, fine talkers are rarely good salesmen. Successful salesmen are rarely good speech makers. And the same thing with ads. One must be able to express himself briefly, clearly, and convincingly. Briefly, clearly, and convincingly. Fine writing is a disadvantage. Now, you might think, well, then what about long copy? Well, to fit long copy into that definition, I would say it's a lot of brief statements. Long copy doesn't drone on and on. It covers a lot of points. And when you have long copy, it's because you need to tell your prospect a lot in order to get them to buy. On entertainment, uh, he's pretty harsh. He says, ads are not written to entertain. He says, you need to measure ads by salesman standards. And for the sexist language, hey, this was written in the early 20th century. So if this is pushing your buttons when I say he, you should hear she. Okay, I can't do anything about it. I'm quoting him directly. Um, He says, measure ads by salesman standards when ads entertain. Those entertainment speakers are less likely to be those you want. That's a really important point. And I can talk about my own experience. You know, my insurance company seems to come up with great entertaining ads. Um, I really like Limu Emu and Doug a lot. I, I like that. I think it's Liberty Mutual. I'm still buying my insurance from Transamerica and Blue Cross Medicare Supplement and State Farm for my house. And this is not an insurance commercial. I'm just saying, sure didn't work on me and I love to be entertained, but didn't convince me I wanted to buy. Another point he makes, study the consumer. Talk to consumers. In person, not with online surveys, talk to them one-on-one. Get to know them as people. Those are his words. Get to know them as people. He says, the reason, okay, why do ads fail? The reason for most non-success in advertising is trying to sell people something they don't want, number one. But next to that comes a lack of true salesmanship. So the ability to sell is what separates copy from any other type of writing. So I've noticed in my own campaigns, because a lot of times I'm in charge of writing the sales page. I'm also in charge of writing the Facebook ads that drive to the sales page and the emails that drive to the sales page. Um, I think, and, and I'm willing to hear you tell me I'm wrong, but I think there is a place for entertainment but more so on the lift aspect. When I'm sending emails, I try to make them entertaining 
And I'm only trying to, the only thing I'm trying to sell is the click. When I'm writing Facebook ads, it's a little bit less so, but I still think there's a place for entertainment. But when it comes to the sales page, um, definitely a lot less entertaining and a lot more persuasion. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. So first of all, I think what Hopkins was really talking about here was the, the modern day equivalent of what he was talking about was the sales page. Uh, secondly, yeah, I agree that um, you can use um, your Lyft or your uh, lead gen in, in an entertaining way, but you have to walk a fine line. Um, you don't want the entertainment to overtake the inspiration or the persuasion to get them to click. And you need to set up the whole frame of what you're doing in such a way that it mentally prepares them to welcome a pitch and possibly to buy something. Okay, cool. That's a good clarification. Okay. Uh, let's go to the second big takeaway. The right headline can increase sales by five to 10 times. I've heard of tracked examples where it's more than that. Here's an important point. Never, never fall into the trap of saying or thinking, well, this product is for this product is so good it's for everybody. First of all, it's not for the people who don't already want something like that. And secondly, certain products really appeal to certain kinds of people. And you need to spend a lot of time hashing that out, figuring out what is um, a good product and what's not. He says you can use your headline to target a particular type of prospect and I'm adding the trick is to call out the type of qualified prospect that there are the most of. So Hopkins says people, the big issue for him, people don't read ads for amusement. They read ads to solve a problem or to get something they want. That's why headlines should not be clever and amusing. You should use headlines to reach out to people who are likely to want what you're selling. He says, we pick out, as consumers, we pick out what we wish to read by headlines and don't want those headlines to be misleading. So this might be where Claude Hopkins and you uh, diverge a little bit, Nathan. I don't think Claude Hopkins would approve of clickbait. You know, I actually don't approve of clickbait either. Uh, and the big reason why is it shatters expectations or it sets wrong expectations and you end up with a bunch of people that read it that aren't qualified, just like you're saying. And instead of, um, instead of making sure that the people that are attracted, especially nowadays with attention, so diverted, you want to make sure you're getting the attention of the right people. I think it's important. Yeah. And, um, I don't, I also don't think that Claude Hopkins this could sound pretty tedious and strict and boring. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about keeping your mind, keep your eye on the prize, keep your mind focused on the goal. And uh, if you're doing anything that's going to uh, pull you away from that, pull the prospect away from that, you know, cut it out. All right. Here's a third takeaway. Psychology is the gas in the engine as well as the GPS of all advertising. So we can't actually read people's minds. 
but we can keep track of their different behaviors. And sometimes we can figure out what we can say and what we can do to reliably spur those behaviors. The more specifically we know about what people respond to and how they behave, the better people will, well, the better our copy will perform, the more people will buy. And so this, this is what he means by psychology. He doesn't mean getting into deep unconscious theories and um, all kinds of sociological, psychological, abstract concepts. He means, what can you do to get people to do what you want? He says, human nature is perpetual. In most respects, it is the same today as it was in the time of Caesar. So let's talk about that. What are some realities that matter to us as copywriters that are eternal and unchanging about human nature that we can use in writing copy? I thought of three. First of all, this is kind of hard to swallow, but really important. People will prefer to do nothing rather than make a decision and take action. So that pretty much blows up the idea that this product's so good, I'm just going to show it to you and you're going to snatch it out of my hands and, and give me your credit card. All, all with one hand, all in the same moment. No, they prefer to do nothing rather than take action, make a decision, take action. That means you need to work hard to convince them to move out of that inert state into a dynamic state of actually doing something. Another eternal truth, all people are motivated primarily by self-interest. Now, you're feeling the rage build up in you because you're better than that. You might be interested in the next sentence. People will go out of their way to pretend they're not motivated by self-interest, and they will make up fascinating stories to prove that they're not self-interested, even though at the end of the day, they really are. Mm. Besides self-interest, curiosity is also one of the strongest human incentives. And so this is all proven psychology, tracked psychology, behaviors that have shown up consistently in advertising tests. Okay, risk reversal and the commitment of the seller to the satisfaction of the customer will be big factors in determining whether people buy. Hopkins talks a lot about that in scientific advertising with some detailed discussion. Bottom line for that point is that's why guarantees are so important. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. 
Now, back to the show. Finally, samples work like gangbusters. This was true in Claude Hopkins' day. And even in the digital economy, in the digital world we live in, it's still true today. Some examples of samples are a $1 try, $1 trial on an expensive membership site. You know, maybe it's 97 or 297 a month. You can have a $1 trial for a month. Or this is something I've taken advantage of and then later bought from free, fully functioning trials of software for 14 or 30 days. You try it, you get to like it, and then you don't want it to go away. So you buy it. Um, people really do like to try before they buy. Any thoughts on psychology and any of those points? Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of even goes back to before Caesar's time. I mean, tribalism. Uh, being able to judge us versus them, um, the inert primordial, primordial instinctive uh, desire to survive, um, the desire to not have what you've worked so hard for taken away, all of these things that go back to when we were still barely evolved, they still ring true on the on the most base levels of our psychology and um, to, to think that, oh, we're evolved past that or we're, we're humans are smarter. My market is smarter than that uh, is one of the biggest mistakes that I see clients what, that I work with make just the belief that their market is not victim to these same things that have really, I mean, back in the day, they probably served a purpose nowadays to think that just because we live in an evolved society that we don't still have these same instinctual things driving our decision-making, um, something that it's something that marketers need to know and, and copywriters definitely need to know. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. I, uh, I was just thinking as you're saying that, that some of the people I know who are having the hardest time with their own marketing or their own marketing or copywriting businesses are people who hear this stuff and say, yeah, but I'm more involved than that. Or my market's more involved than that. And they get, they get slaughtered, you know, they get slaughtered in the marketplace. That's sad, but true. Okay. Number four, the more specific you are, the more people will believe you. It's always a bad idea to lie about specifics, but it's always a good idea to include as many honest, meaningful specifics as you can. So Claude Hopkins has something, this has always stuck with me, um, gosh, for the 30 years since I first read the book, platitudes and generalities roll off the human understanding like water from a duck, but the weight of an argument can often be multiplied by making it specific. So let's, let's look at this a little bit. When you make a general statement, people don't always take it seriously and often don't expect it to be strictly true. Example, you're going to Disneyland, and Disneyland claims it is the happiest place on earth. So maybe you see someone there who's not happy. You're not going to file a complaint with the California consumer advocate or file a class action suit in court because you ran across unhappy people at the amusement park. Because 
That's a general statement. No one expects it to be strictly true. But if an amusement park, whether it's Disneyland or anyone else, says in their advertising that they have more rides than any other park, consumers expect that to be true. And guess who else expects that? Government regulators who have the courts and even the prisons to back them up. So that's why being specific is so important. People believe specific claims. And as long as you're on the right side of provable accuracy, you should be okay. Although, I've, as I've said before, you may want to get a legal review because sometimes the law is quirky. Sometimes you can tell what you would think is the truth and it's forbidden anyway. So just make sure you know what the rules are. And legal niceties aside, here's what Claude Hopkins said. A man who makes a specific claim is either telling the truth or lying. People do not expect an advertiser to lie. Well, you could take issue with that, but you shouldn't. And it's not going to help your credibility if you do. If you can get truthful specifics, verify them, and include them strategically in your copy, strategically meaning to build belief and desire and move the sale along, your whole ad will be a whole lot stronger. Just a side note, I heard a story one time about somebody who was selling a window washer or window washing fluid, mm -hmm. and the alphabet agencies said, well, you made this claim that by using this wash on your window, it makes your window so clear that you can see for thousands of miles, and we're going to have to crack down on you because obviously nobody can see for thousands of miles. So the advertiser went over to the window and sprayed some on the window and, and wipe the window clean and says, look out there. Can you see the sun? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Sometimes cleverness helps. Okay. Number five, this is going to be a tough one for people who have very strong beliefs about the way other people should be. All right. How to guarantee your advertising won't make a profit. You can lose a lot of money by trying to change people's habits or educate people to a brand new way of thinking. Claude Hopkins says it is a very shrewd thing to watch the development of a particular trend, the creation of new desires, then at the right time offer to satisfy those desires. This has developed into a well-known concept among direct marketers. Don't try to change people's minds. Instead, sell them what they want. If you can find a better, faster, cheaper, or easier way to get people what they already want, then that's not changing people's habits or changing their minds. That's different. It's helping them get what they already want, but in a more convenient way. And that's okay. I like to draw a distinction between direct marketing and evangelistic marketing. Now, evangelistic, not in the religious sense, but more in the Silicon Valley sense. Evangelistic as in getting people to think or behave in a fundamentally different way. It is possible, but it takes a long time and a lot of marketing money. Here's my favorite example. It's what marketing consultant and psychologist Clotaire Rapai writes about in his book, The Culture Code, about what he did with the giant corporation Nestle. They put together an elaborate long-term campaign to get Japanese people who are used to drinking green tea 
to start drinking coffee. It worked. It also took a generation, 20 years. And that's an amazing feat. But most direct marketers don't have 20 years for their campaigns to catch on and become profitable. So key thing is focus on selling people what they already want. Uh, there's a, a part two to that too. Mm-hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs, they say, oh, I've got this brilliant idea and nobody's doing it and I'm going to make a million dollars because I'm going to be the first one to the market or I've got this brilliant idea and if I can just educate people about how they need this, I'm going to make a million dollars. And I think if you have a war chest when it comes to your advertising budget, like maybe Apple or one of these giant companies, you might be able to get away with that. Um, For the average marketer, for the average business owner, for the average copywriter, that's not the case. Um, So it's the reason why I said a part two, though, it's not just sell what people are already buying. I think it's also sell to the people who are buying it. Because a lot of times we say, well, this market's buying it. So let's try and get this other market to buy it. And I've seen a lot of industries go under right now. Um, and I hate to bring it back to comic books, but I love comic books. Uh, the comic book industry for the last five to 10 years has said, we don't care about the people, you know, the, the nerdy white males that buy comic books. We want to sell to this new market. And they've forsaken the people that have already bought that, you know, that buy comic books and they've spent all their advertising and all of their marketing trying to go after uh, a phantom market that is just not interested in comics and it's destroying the industry. And so um, not only sell what people are buying, but also sell it to the people who are already saying they want to buy it. I think that's sound advice. And one last thing, it might sound like Claude Hopkins and I and you are railing against innovation. We're not. Um, And innovation can be incremental or it can be a quantum leap. All we're saying is, as a direct marketer, small steps and small steps to the right people who already want it. Mm -hmm. And then one last thing that I want to end this, or at least in my participation in the show with is uh, a lot of people might say, well, this book was written 100 years ago. How relevant can it be? Same thing with Eugene Schwartz and same thing with uh, the, next, the next podcast that I'm not going to give away the surprise, but these guys reading their work, even though it's 100 years old, still applies as much today as it ever did. So don't, don't let the fact that a lot of times as marketers were like, oh, well, that was so last week. Well, that was so 100 years ago. Don't make that mistake when it comes to these types of books and these types of uh, direct response advertisers. Yeah. And um, if, if you think something 100 years old is bad, how about a guy who wrote something 2,000 years old that um, almost every product from one of the largest industries in the world uses movies? It's Aristotle. Almost everything is based on Aristotle's idea of block structure. So sometimes there's somebody who's Wisdom and insight is so good that it transcends time. (laughs) Nice, David. This has been a fantastic episode. We'll make sure to put a link to scientific uh, advertising in the show notes so that people can get this book themselves. I agree. This is one of the foundational books that every copywriter out there should read. 
Um, anything else before we're out of here? No, um, it's it, it, well, yeah, it, it was funny reading it. Cause I, like I said, I'd read it at least 15 times and some of the stuff I remembered, uh, I saw a few new things that came from experience, but there was some stuff in there that I never remembered reading, but I thought, well, I know that that's obvious, which tells me I internalized it. And that's a good thing. Nice. All right, man. Until next time, if you listening right now want to get more of your copywriters fix, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.